0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit Nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are like And you can write this down. I'm gonna be starting a a, a some thoughts and a series of messages that are going to be titled, Everything. And, and, and maybe I'll add some words into everything. Um, but it's interesting because today is, I said, well, if I'm going to start anything for everything, um, this is the proper place that I felt I needed to start at. The reason being is because there's no way I could talk about everything in, in the different avenues that I, that I feel the Lord may be wanting us to speak on it on without getting through today first. So today is what I would call or is what I would say is the whole entire message is the introduction of, of probably many messages to come in the weeks ahead. So I, I, I ask you to open up your heart and um, open up uh, your mind, open up your soul, your spirit to receive and that I would land on good soil. Amen? Amen? And that it would produce much fruit. Everything. Everyone say everything. 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 It's, a, it's a nice word, everything. Unless you're held at gunpoint, they're like, give me everything. It's not, it's not the best of words. Or when someone comes up to you and they say, here's everything, you can have everything, then that's good. So sometimes it's good. Did it just get darker in here or is it me? I feel like hey, it's me? Okay, I'm, I'm telling you, it's been a while. This is the first time in the podium for a few weeks, so I have to get used to back, being back up here. But sometimes it's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, give me everything, right? It's, it's hard for you to receive that. Give me everything. Right now, right now. if I were to tell you guys, every single one of you, one by one, come up here and just give me everything. Everything. What do you mean everything? Everything that's in your purse, everything that's in your pockets, everything that's around your necks, everything. Everything. You're not going to like that. Obviously, we'll never do that. We're not, we're not that kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> Where's he going? But if I were to say today, I have so much goods, I have so much fortune that I'm going to surprise all of you, but I'm going to give you everything. That part is like, oh, good, I'm so happy I came for this Sunday. Everyone loves to go to the Oprah show or the Ellen DeGeneres show or whichever show it is on the day that they're going to receive the gifts from Ellen because they need the tax write-off and stuff like that. So they need the gift from Ellen and they need the gift from Oprah. So everyone loves to be there on that day. Uh, Everyone loves to be maybe in the house of God when they're going to receive something. But how about when the Lord asks you, thank you for coming today to my house. Because it just so happens that today happens to be the day that I was going to ask you to give me everything. And you're like, I should not have come today. Out of all the Sundays, to, I should have come next week. Next week is going to be about God giving us everything. I should have not have been here today. Today's the day that he's going to say God wants me to give to him. And the reality is that's what it is, everything. And and I kind of want to just get through this today and and, and just lay a foundation for you guys. When when you say the word everything, the word everything can also mean all things. I mean, it's obvious, right? All things, everything. And I think all things will develop in um, weeks to come. But we know, and hopefully we know this, but how many of you can declare this with me, right? That we know that the Lord wants a complete you. The Lord wants a complete you. A, a complete you. He wants, yes, uh, when, when I say he wants a complete you, maybe some of you, it clicked right in your head. And he said, yeah, but the Bible says he wants a, a broken and contrite heart. Those are the ones that he does not despise. We're going to get into that scripture. So yes, he wants a broken and contrite heart, but with the understanding that he wants a complete you. You should write that down in your notes. God wants, the Lord wants a complete me, comma, a full me. He wants me fully. He wants me completely. Not half of you, a part of you, or when you have time, not when you get a chance, when it fits, when you have some space in your schedule, when things start to get better, or for many of us maybe, or when things are getting really bad and things are worse in your life. I'm not talking about those. Those are all good things to come to the Lord and run to the Lord. But the Lord just doesn't want that part of you just when it seems fitting, just when it seems right. The Lord wants you at every season that your life goes through. It's very easy maybe to, to go outside and, and dance outside when, when it's, um, what's the best weather in Miami? It's, also, it's always summer. But, but it, now it's good weather. But you know, whether it's the spring or whether it's the beginning of fall. But in the summer, no one really wants, in that season, no one wants to do much outside. No, no, no one wants to do anything outside because, like, even at nighttime, you're drenched with sweat here in Miami in the summer. But in every season of our lives, summer, winter, spring, whatever season, snow, the sun rays, whatever it is that we've entered and we're going through, He wants all of us, fully all of us. It's a life, it is a commitment, it's a relationship. He has called us to. And, and, and it's a commitment that nothing is separated from him. But instead, all things operate in him through him. All things operate in him. And there is where you'll find the only place where you'll truly live for him. Everything. Everything. That 2020 would be a, 2020 would be a defining moment a defining year in all of our lives for all of us the 2020 would be special because it's the place where we decide it's everything or it's nothing it's everything or it's nothing i was thinking about that because it's it's all over the news and it's all over the television and it's all over social media but if i was a presidential candidate and i was running this in this in this campaign coming up i would have to come up with a slogan and if I was a presidential candidate, I would, I would say something like, Vote Regal Figueredo, right? 2020. My slogan would be, America, everything goes. That would be my slogan. Yeah, I don't know if you like it. Maybe you like America, make America great again. I don't know. I thought that was better than make America great again. But America, everything goes. I don't even know the other slogans. What are the other slogans out there? Who cares? America cares. America, everything goes. That would be my slogan. Everything goes. Everything goes. Stand up there. You know, I started to think about it. I said, man, I bet you I, bet you I know how, how we could win the presidency. When we're in the, in the campaign and there's nine candidates, and they all start bashing one another. I, how cool would it be just to stand up there and not talk about any single one of them? Just, just, just like don't even look at them, don't even talk about them. Just you're constantly at looking at the camera and at the people, and you're just talking about exactly what you're going to do. And you could care like, I don't know, I just said, I've never seen a candidate that never says anything about another candidate. I don't know, I just thought that would be cool. So I started to look up some things, and I said, well, what's popular right now for our government? What are some of the issues? So I say, America, everything goes. That would be my slogan. And I thought about some of the issues, and I had to look them up, obviously, because I don't have... Too much knowledge of all these things, obviously. And, um, and, and I will grab some of the important things that, that came up. Things like this, ready? Conservatism versus progressivism, healthcare, immigration, religious freedom, marriage institution, education, environment, welfare, spending, environment. Did I say environment, ready? All right. I, I, maybe I shouldn't run for president. All right. I think any of us could become president the way the, our country's turning, right? Now. Okay, but we will grab some of these things right here. And some of the things that are important right now to our country, and one of the things that I would say is, we're going to grab all these things, and we're going to take them all together, and we're just going to shove it. We're going to grab all of it and just shove it exactly where it needs to be shoved, and we're going to shove it right in the word of God, and finally allow the Lord, let Yahweh begin to speak into our land, and finally have a voice to speak into everything that's important to our nation. That That would be amazing obviously we know what that means. That person would never get elected. But it will be good trying. And taking everything and aligning it to the word of God, grabbing everything and saying, you know what, I know you want to hear from me, but every question that you ask, we're going to have to go into the word of God, and we're going to see what the word of God has to say about the marriage institution, and we're going to have to see what the word of God says about immigration, and we're going to have to look into the word of God to see what it says about health care, and we're going to have to look into the word of God and put godly people into authority. To, can you just imagine a government like that? That would be so amazing. Take these things and putting it right where it needs to go again, and And I believe this for us, and I believe this, that that the Lord is giving this word to the church this year, and not just our church, but to the church this year. And it's the word everything, that it's time that everything becomes, he says, mine again, that everything is placed under my authority again, that everything is placed under my examination, that everything be judged and decided by my word. Not just as a country, I'm holding you accountable before his presence. That everything of you would come under everything of him. That, you know, we we spoke about the government. Can you imagine this? I I wrote some thoughts here. This is my brain, what it does. But come on, believe in faith with me. Listen to this. That the White House would not be the most important house in our country. But that he would make his house. And that he would make his houses the most important. Where the houses of God would be the most influential in the land. Where wisdom would be found there. Where prosperity would be found there. That the government would run to the church for answers. And that the church would stop looking toward the government for the answers. Can you imagine that? That citizens and kings, prince, princesses, dignitaries, noblemen, that they would all come to the house of God to seek from his presence the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge of the word of God, of everything that is God. Just imagine that. Having church one day and say, hello, everyone. Today uh, the mayor of our great city is here with us, and so is the governor of Florida. He just came to because they needed guidance today. So they came to the perfect place to receive direction today and that is the presence of God can you just where presidents and king begin to come to church not because it's a political move to win the evangelical vote but because there's a spiritual reformation a spiritual reformation that the Lord is calling everyone and everything to return to him with conviction and holiness once again I thought a couple of sons and daughters would have said amen there. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and I'm not going to have time to get into 2 Chronicles 7 today, but I will get into 2 Chronicles, the whole part of the whole passage there. But in verse 14, it says, if my people, in a very specific time in history, God says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and I believe we are in a very specific time in history, will who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. You grab this passage and you grab the, the time that was going on in Second Chronicles. And I don't want to get so into that because eventually I'm going to get into that. But I believe it's very similar today. And if we could just stop being prideful. If the people of this land and even churches and and Christians and non-Christians, if we could just stop being prideful and we could begin to to fully give ourselves, to be better givers and give ourselves. And then not only just to give ourselves, but come before the presence of God and say, I'm going to get to a place where everything is his, to truly learn to pray. Do you truly know and do you truly pray? Come on, church, I really want you to examine yourself right now under the Word of God and under this preaching, and I want you to answer this for yourself. Don't answer it out loud, but answer it and let conviction burn in your heart. Do you really pray? Like, do you really pray? Are you really praying? Or or do you just say this, oh, please pray for me? pray for yourself and pray, learn how to pray, learn how to set atmospheres up in prayer, learn how to shift rooms in prayer, learn how to pray again for your your house, learn how to pray again in your car, learn how to pray again in your showers, learn how to come to church together as a body and when we release prayer in a room, that you don't need to be coached, that you just automatically know what it means to pray together before the presence of God. Do you know what it means to pour out an offering of prayer before the presence of God? Or, or do you just, I need someone else to do it for me. Prayer, do do we know how to pray? Do we trust in someone else's prayer? Listen, other people's prayers are so vital in our lives. We need them in our lives. We need certain people in our lives to pray with us. But do you, do we know and are we praying? Are we praying? Are we seeking his face? How do I seek his face? If you don't have a prayer life, you're not going to be able to seek his face. You're not. You could bow to people will substitute the prayer life to have a picture on a wall of a man that they say look like jesus which i believe that 100% of the pictures on the walls are nothing to what he looked like, and they believe that when they say a little something to him, a little blessing before that picture, that that is their blessing, that is their prayer, when in reality, I don't even believe that that picture has anything to do with who Jesus really is. I'm talking about, are your knees sore, is your voice hoarse, because you know what it is to live a life of prayer. Like, like how else will we see his face? I wrote this down, to be intentional and to be truthful and to be sensitive in finding God each day. Deciding to what? What is he saying in Second Chronicles? Deciding to turn from wickedness where everything is his. Your everything becomes his and he begins to respond. Your everything is his and he begins to respond. Do you know that people begin to respond better when you begin to give better? The more you give, the more people respond. So God's called you to be a giver. And when you stand before the presence of God, he wants you to give. And as you give, you're going to start to encounter the response of God. And when he begins to respond, what does it say in 2 Chronicles? He begins to hear your cry. He begins to forgive sin. And he begins to heal lands. He begins to heal lands. I want the Lord to heal. How many of you have come in this room today and you said, I want the Lord to heal certain lands in my life? I want the Lord to heal land in my life. Amen. Well, He wants to hear prayer from deep within your spirit. And He begins to hear your cry. He begins to heal land and forgive sins. I believe this. I believe this. I believe I'm standing before land. You know the prophet was taken to a land, specifically to a valley of dry bones? And I believe I'm standing before lands. Not just one land, maybe one land that represents us corporately as a family, but I also believe individually I'm standing before lands. And I wrote this down with a very gentle heart, truthful heart, lands who desire to be fruitful, lands who desire to be healed, lands who desire to do his will, desire to please him. But due to the generations before you, maybe sins, decisions, the weight of life, your ground has been affected by this pollution, and it's been difficult for you to bear fruit. But God, listen to, my, listen to this, because I believe this is where God wants to take us this year. But God wants to heal your land. What a beautiful Sunday to come to church. This can be the moment where we decide it's everything. Come on, that everything goes. America, everything goes. I might just run. He wants all of it. What does he want from me? How many of you asked that to someone? I just don't know what he wants from me. All of you. I just don't know what he wants. Lay down on the altar and say, set me on fire. He wants all of you, every piece of you, every part of you. He wants it all. You should say all of me. You should write that on your notes, all of me. All of me, all of it, all of it, all of it. The good, the bad, the, everything, all of it. The highs and the lows. He wants all of it. Every single aspect of you. In, in Psalm 51, I quoted this scripture. I'm going to read it now. In Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, the whole message is an introduction, so forgive me for traveling throughout, all around the scripture. It says this, it says, for you will not delight, look what the psalmist says to the Lord, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Listen to the psalmist here for a moment, because the psalmist says, you're not going to delight in my sacrifices and in my burnt offerings, but in the sacrifices that you won't despise and you do delight in, these are the ones who are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That is what you're pleased with and pleased in. I thought about this verse and I, and I, and I said, my goodness, you know, when you think about this passage, I said, just right here, right here, and even at this moment, on a Sunday at our nest, many give an offering unto the Lord. Many give a sacrifice unto the Lord. I see some of you guys mopping out there. That's a sacrifice. Listen, I know your heart is giving it to the glory of the Lord. And I know you're worshiping God with every broom and every mop. And every time you build that tent. And every time you throw that rug. And every time you, you translate. And every time you, you have to pay attention to the worship team and put songs. And, and every, time, every time you have to come up here. And preach a word, maybe, or maybe sing a song—all of that stuff, man. It's a—it's an offering unto the Lord. I get it because your heart is right with God. But man, it's a sacrifice too. How many of you? Your house needs to be mopped, and you're over here, and you're mopping the floor of our church. It's an honor. It's a so I'm I'm trying to say like we see that that's special. And on Sunday here, many do give an offering unto the Lord. There are Sundays where I know I have to say things, but I don't have no strength that, to even come up here to say it. But I have to do it. It's an offering unto the Lord. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice at times. And it could be anything. It could be a preaching, a song that was sung, a note that you had to play, throwing garbage away, maybe replacing the old garbage bags. Clean, clean the bathrooms. Man, that's, that's a special anointing. Teaching. Teaching my kids. Right now in the back, there is a teacher that is teaching my son. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. Maybe, oh, I have to go early today. I have to welcome people at the hype center. Listen, all of these things are amazing. How about this, ready? They're all a blessing as well to other people. Because when I, when you come to my house, I want you to come in and you, and, 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 my, and my, actually, I shouldn't say this. I'm, I'm being hypocritical. My wife, this is her heart. But she wants you to smell a clean floor. She wants you to smell what's the stuff, Also, And she wants you to see the bathroom is clean. And she wants you to feel welcomed and not that you feel dirty when you come to our house. And that's awesome that I have a wife that wants, that is clean and wants people to see cleanness when they come into our house house and so so we want the same thing in our house that it's clean for you and that you feel welcomed and that you feel comfortable that you don't have to walk over like dirty stuff and nasty things with the space that we do have all of that we do is a blessing to others how many of you would say amen Amen. it's all a blessing to others everything that we do is a blessing to others but I'm going to be very honest when I say this come on 2020 ready has it become a blessing to you So it may be a blessing to others to lift up the hype tent and to walk the floor and to clean the bathroom and to teach our kids. And it might be a blessing to serve God in whatever capacity that God is calling you to serve him in. And it's been a blessing to others. But have you saturated in the place where that stuff now becomes a blessing to you? Not only am I blessing someone, but in blessing someone, I'm leaving blessed. It's become a blessing. These offerings will not please him. Everything that I've just said, you won't live in the joy of them. If you don't allow yourself to stand before him in a broken spirit, with a broken and contrite heart. Lord, I, I can give you a sacrifice. I can give you a burnt offering. But what good is it if it has no aroma of honor? If I come up here and I preach a word and you're like, oh man, that was such a good word. And I get in my car and I recognize, what good was the message if it was not an aroma of honor? an aroma of praise, an aroma of good-heartedness. We've been talking a lot about here, like where, where, what would it take for our church to get to a different place in worship? And we've tried different things and we've chewed different flavors of gum to see what would work. But we've come with the conclusion, it's nothing that we can do. It's going to be when the church realizes they are an offering before the Lord and they're going to come Sunday and they're going to come ready to be an, uh, an offering of honor during a time of worship. So we're waiting for you to come here next Sunday on time with your garments on and say, I'm ready to give an aroma of honor to the Lord in worship and in prayer. How many of you can say amen to that? As your pastor, I challenge you. I challenge you. As the worship team up here, they challenge you. Worship team on my line, they challenge you. Amen. I give you a sacrifice, a aroma of honor, of praise, of a good heart. It, but what good is that if my internal state, listen now, if my internal state is separated from God. How many of you know I could still be doing the things of God but yet be separated from God? I know many people that do think, that have done and do the things of God and then Eventually God exposes and you recognize, oh my God, they've been separated from God. The words broken and contrite in this passage can mean a variety of things. But I love what it means. It means to burst. So that's cool because the Lord wants me to come before his presence and just what? Burst. The Lord wants me to stand before him and be broken into pieces. Burst. So I started to look deeper into this definition of what? this word meant, and I found a word that I love. My favorite definition of this passage means the Lord wants us wrecked. And I said, I cannot believe that the word broken here means wrecked. Living wrecked before him. Wrecked. Not that you're a wreck, but that you're wrecked before him. Two different things. I'll explain it. This, This passage, it's not... To conform ourselves or define as having just a, not just staying at the place where we just have a repenting heart. A repenting heart is great. But it's to have a repented heart. I'm going to ask you guys this question. I had to actually call my pastor, one of my pastors, and say, hey, I want to read you a question. Let's have a conversation on this. So I had a great conversation with my pastor the other day. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. (laughs) Tell me what you hear. All right, here it is. Is it possible for you to move away from a life that is always preaching, apologizing, and explaining that you are a child of God whose heart repents daily before the Lord? That instead we would inherit as children of God a freedom in him that displays a repented repented heart for many to see in this life. So I asked him that question and we got into deep conversation in that. And I said, so this is what I'm talking about. That we can live having a repenting heart. Repenting, repenting, repenting. Or will I come before the Lord and grow from there and live having a repented heart? Those are two different things. A heart that is repenting always and it's a lifestyle of a heart that has been repented. I'll explain a little bit more. See, a contrite heart, a contrite heart means repentance. It means, a contrite means you're returning to God. It's repented, you're returning to God. So the question is this, and I feel like it's fitting to speak among family and to ask this very daring question. You ready? What are the things that are causing you to return towards God? Do you have any of them? What are the things that are causing me to return to God. I'm not only, you know, sometimes we say statements like, you act like you have no sin. I'm not just talking about sin. There are things in your lives that cause you to turn to God that are not necessarily sin. It could be weight of certain things. It's not just always sin. Don't always think, oh, God, he's he's trying to say that we're we're without sin. Mm. What I'm trying to say is, what does it mean to grow and to mature where I'm not constantly always proving that, oh, I have to have a heart that's constantly repenting and that my life lived out before others is a life that is seen and says, wow, that's a man who lives with a repented heart. So maybe this statement will, make, will bring all the pieces together. And I wrote this for my own self. I'm, I'm going to talk about me, not you. When I don't want to offend no one, I'll offend myself. Am I wasting my time on the act of repentance Instead of living a life that reflects a repented heart. Am I wasting my time always on the act of repentance. Where I could get to a place where I could live a life that reflects a repented heart. And in the midst of that, whether I'm repenting or I live repented, guess what? I'm still clay in the potter's hand. I thought about Jeremiah 18. We won't get there for the sake of time. But do you remember the beginning of Jeremiah 18 when the prophet is taken to the potter's house? The potter has what in his hands? He's got clay. And when he makes what he makes with the clay, it says that he what? It's marred in his hands. It's ruined in his hands. I'm going to pause there for a moment because many people say, you need to be ruined in the potter's hands. And you need to be done. We 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 we. We preach so much about being ruined, but have we considered that that clay, whether ruined, whatever effects it has, whatever it's going, defects, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the day, where it started and where it ended off, it was always clay in the potter's hands. It was never separated from, and that's the beauty of who we are as children of God with our hearts, with the contrite and broken spirit and heart. That At the end of the day, wherever we're at, whether you're the one that's constantly repenting, I know what that is, I'm there, I get it. But, but I'm not saying that my prayer is, Lord, I want to get to a place where it's not just always talking about having a repenting heart, but what, it, what does it look like to have a lifestyle before others that this is a man whose heart has been repented forever. Because what are the things that I'm constantly repenting for? What are the things that I'm causing turning to the Lord for? Because maybe those are the things in this new year that I have to highlight and say, those are the things I have to focus on. Because those are the things that constantly have me running back to the Lord. Everything. Even those things deep inside that I need to expose. How many of you can say, man, there's things in us. In Genesis 4, there's a powerful passage there. Adam and Eve have children. And they have two popular sons that we know of, Abel and Cain. I'm just going to read it just so you can kind of get an idea of this part of the story. It says, and in the verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3 of Genesis, it says, And the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Everyone say "Offering." offering. So he's bringing an offering. Of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel, the brother, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat. It says the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. It says here, I want you to see this, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. His face changed. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? You've ever been angry and the Lord has just confronted you and said, why are you angry? Why has your face changed? Why has your countenance fallen? This has nothing to do with your brother. This has everything to do with you. What's wrong with you? Verse 7, here's the Lord being graceful. How many of you know that in the Old Testament, the Lord is still showing grace? Verse 7 says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, do well. Cain, decide, I'm giving you grace. You're filled with anger, man. Your face is sour, but come on, you're going to be accepted. Do well. Look what he continues to say. He says, and if you do not do well, look what he says. Sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But look what he says next. But you should rule over it. a powerful, powerful conversation between Cain and and God. So so God tells Cain, he says, sin lies. Another phrase for sin lies says what? Sin is crouching at your door. Do you know what that phrase means in its proper language? It's compared to a wild beast that's on all fours. Uh, I, I saw uh, 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 that show, uh, Serengeti, on National Geographic. You saw it. it was like an eight-week show. And, and the tigers and the lions, they crouch in the, in the tall grass. And they get on all fours and they slump their back and they kind of get in a weird position. They go backwards because they're about to leap forward. They're about to attack. And they hold that position. And that is the position that That is being used here to Cain when it says sin lies at your door or sin is crouching at the door. The Hebrew word there is ravatz. And the word ravatz is presented as a wild beast that is seeking to devour Cain. So what is God really telling Cain? If you do well, we're going to hug. If you choose not to do well, the wild beast called sin is going to devour you. What are you going to choose? There's grace today. What are you going to choose? What was the conversation between Cain and God really about? It was about this. Cain was truly conquered. And Cain was conquered within. And because Cain was conquered within, he didn't take God's guidance over sin. And what was God's guidance over it? What was his direction? You're called to what? Rule over it. Instead, we see what? He chose for it to rule over sin. Him and his life gave into it. You know how crazy the wild beast got in his life? The wild beast got so crazy that it caused him to kill his very brother. Do you know how crazy that stuff is? The addiction and the power of sin? He chose it to rule over him. So so here's Cain. Here's Abel. They both have an offering. They both have an offering, right? Here are you. Here am I. Here's she, here's he. You both have an offering, but what happens? One was polluted. Cain, I don't just want your public offering. Thank you for giving a tithe. Cain, I don't want just your public offering. What God was really telling Cain was this. I want your private offering as well. Cain, I want you. Cain, I want everything. Decide whether you're going to give it to me like your brother Abel has. Cain had to decide. Why is my offering not pleasing him? It has nothing to do that his was animals and yours was the fruit of the land. It had everything to do from the, what, motive of the heart. From the, what, the wickedness that was in your heart. And he was polluted. And he didn't want to give everything. And he needed to make a decision that that stuff that lives in you, its desire is for you. How many of you have stuff living in you right now as I speak and you need to hear this message? And that stuff that lives in you, its desire is for you. And if you don't start making the right decisions for the stuff that lives in you, that desire is for you, it's going to begin to rule over you and the end result is disastrous. How many of you say, today's the day that everything goes? I can't allow this crouching. Sin to devour me. Cain, will it be everything today? In, in, in the Old Testament, we know this teaching. Because Samuel the prophet comes up to King Saul after he destroys the Amalekites. We know this story. We've preached on this story. And as he goes to him, he's like, what is the Amalekite king doing alive? Why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in the background? The word of the Lord to you, King Saul, was to destroy everything that had the fingerprint of the Amalekites, and yet you chose to keep some of it for your good. Do you guys remember what Saul did with his disobedience? What did Saul do with his disobedience? Come on, learn from this. What did he do? He turned it around. He turned his disobedience around to try to give it as an offering. He said, oh, no. I just took some of the sheep that belonged to the Amalekites, so that I could offer it to the Lord. And what does Samuel say? Well, the Lord doesn't want that offering. But it was an offering. But it was an offering from the roots of disobedience. See, God is not interested in the public offering if he's not winning in the private offering. So what happened was, he says, I know exactly. I really believe this is what happened. He was in his tent because he didn't have a palace. David was the first one to have a palace. So he was in his king tent, and he goes, I know exactly what I'm going to say when Samuel comes. And he hears the bleeding of the sheep, and he sees the king. I'm going to say, we're going to offer it next church service. We're going to bring it to the altar, and we're going to give it to God. And the man of God shows up that day. And he says, what's going on? Why didn't you destroy all the sheep? And, he, uh, and then you know the answer. I'm going to go to church with you. And we're going to give it to God. And the prophet says, well, I have bad news for you. And what does the prophet say to him? Please listen to these words. Ready? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than your sacrifice. And to listen than to the fat of the rams. He didn't want just an offering and a sacrifice of your stuff. Listen to this. The Lord does not just want, I said just, he does not just want a sacrifice and an offering of your stuff. Listen to this. He wants for you to decide today it's everything. It's an offering and a sacrifice of yourself. Thank you for giving your stuff, but have you given yourself? Your stuff is just your stuff. I don't know if you know this, but the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's actually good without your stuff. You're not, doing good, you're not doing God a favor by giving him your stuff. You're blessing others. You're blessing things. You're blessing people. But is it really an offering of honor? Because it comes from a place of everything. It's not just your stuff. It's about yourself. Oh, King Saul, he doesn't want your stuff. He wants yourself. In Matthew chapter 6, and the worship team could start stretching and get ready to come up here. Jesus criticizes the teachers of his time. Does anyone know why Jesus criticizes the teachers of his time? Okay, I'll tell you. He criticizes them because of the religious activities of fasting, of public prayer, of giving to those who were in need. So Jesus criticizes them, rebukes them, and corrects them. What these people would do often was they would would do these things, things that I just mentioned, fasting, public prayer, giving to those in need. And they would do these things to look good in front of other people rather than to honor God. We're going to do a fast on February 3rd. Amen? But we're not doing a fast on February 3rd so that other churches can know that this church is doing a fast on February 3rd. We're doing a fast on February 3rd because we're coming together as a church and we want to honor God with our fast. Amen? Amen? We want more of God. We want to hear of God. We want to be directed for this new year, what God has for us. So what is Jesus saying to these people? Jesus is saying, listen, your fasting, your prayers, your giving to others may be a blessing to them, but it will never become a blessing to you. Why? Because I need the honor from within, your honor from within. What is Jesus telling the religious leaders in Matthew 6? I need everything. If not, your ministry is incomplete. How many of you know you have a ministry before God? Your ministry before the Lord, though it's blessing others, it's incomplete. If it's not honoring God fully, our lives are incomplete if our exterior dealings display they are honoring God while our interior has become dry bones. Let, let, Let me define this for you. Is the worship within greater than the exterior worship? Is the prayer within greater than the exterior prayer? Is the giving within, is it greater than the exterior prayer, or the exterior giving, forgive me. It's all things, or is it some things? No, it's, it's all things. It's everything. And today, I believe that's what God's calling his church to. It's everything. We have a lot of churches in Puerto Rico. I'm going to, I'll be in Puerto Rico if God allows in a couple weeks, but in Puerto Rico, we have many of our churches there. That's where our Fellowship was founded. And some of our pastors that have been here, like Pastor Rafi, and some of you know Pastor Wanda. Pastor Wanda today, who went to Cuba with us, has no church. She live her church is in Ponce, <clears throat> Ponce. And her whole structure of her church is done. She can't meet in her church. She lost her church. I'm gonna, I want I to I, I text her later and see where they finally met. They probably just met outside. But yesterday they released something beautiful. Uh, they all got together in the community and they put some tents up outside and all the Puerto Rican brothers and sisters went outside with their their little drums with their guitars and I'm looking at this video and we know what's going on in in Puerto Rico they say that the last week for the whole week the, the, the ground was just shaking the whole week at any moment they felt that they could have had another earthquake and then they did they've had Some repetitive earthquakes throughout the week. But what I saw with my eyes was beautiful. Because I'm sure deep down in there, there might be some worry, there might be some fear. Most of our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico, I don't know if you know this, people that I know personally that I love, I was looking at some of their pictures and they're with their kids and they had to take their mattress outside. And they're sleeping outside their house because they're scared that their their roof is going to collapse on them. And I said, well, here's a decision to make. What do you do? Everything's been taken from you again. Because this is not the first time this happens in Puerto Rico. If you remember, there was a hurricane that just passed over there, Maria, and destroyed them. almost a whole year they were without electricity. It was horrible. But there's something in the church in Puerto Rico that has blessed us. It's the resolve that's in them to bounce back up and to begin to declare the name of Jesus. Yesterday, they had a, it almost looked like a picnic, what we would call a picnic. They they were outside and it was a mass of people. And you know what? I should have had it ready for you guys. I should have played it. I thought it would have gone good with this message. And they're singing an old corrido and they're all dancing and singing. And these are people that can't even go into their homes. And they're singing and they're dancing. And at that moment, they're deciding Stuff really stinks right now. We've lost our business and our homes, and we don't even know what could happen yet in the next five minutes. But today we're going to decide that if I am still alive, everything goes, everything continues to go. Our our Puerto Rico churches have been blessed within the last couple of years because God has used famine in the land. To bring forth revival in their heart. And because of the famine in the land, because of earthquakes and hurricanes, the Puerto Rico church has matured to know how to truly live a life of honor, of everything, of worship unto the Lord. I've seen it, I've been there, I've preached in some of their churches, and it's jaw-dropping. And sometimes, you know, we don't wish this in our city, we want to pray protection but sometimes you look at calamity and you look at difficulties and you look at persecution and sometimes the the pruning it produces something so pure and so holy and the pruning of a hurricane and the pruning of an earthquake I saw with my very own eyes yet again last night brought something so beautiful their worship was greater last night than it was before the earthquake hit Their prayer was better last night than before the earthquake hit. Their giving was better last night than before the earthquake. Why? Because in every season, there's Christians that are deciding, everything goes. Sin will not have its way. I will not be hardened because of this. I could choose two things, get bitter and get hard. God, you allowed this again on my island. Or we could say god there's going to be an aroma that is released from your church because of this i don't know it's all things it's everything and everything is his how many of you could say amen i end with isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2 as we get through the introduction and hopefully next week i begin to preach the word isaiah 66 verse 1 says thus says the lord i love the prophetic word of god The prophetic word of God. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one. To whom I will look. This is Yahweh talking. This is God speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. And trembles at my word. I look for them. My eyes are on the land. I look for those who are after me. Look what he starts with. Everything's mine. Heaven is mine. That place which you love and all the desires in it that you love, all that stuff, it's on my feet. It's my footstool. But where or what is the house that you've built for him? Where
1: is the place of
0: his rest? I want you to consider this for a moment. Every single one of us is the house of God. Tito, you said something when we started. You said, I feel, I don't know if you used the word anointing, I feel a presence of the Lord in this place. Why do we feel that there's a presence of the Lord in this place? And the answer was, because his house got here. It had nothing to do with you coming to the house. It had everything to do with his house coming here. You are individually the house of God. And the the prophetic word of God says, what is the house that you have built for me? Where is the place of my rest? This is the one I'm looking for. The humble, broken, the contrite, the one who trembles at my word. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close off. And I believe that the Lord is calling our church the church to give everything Lord I don't want to be like Cain that sin and murder grew in me Lord I I want to give everything to you as you examine your heart there I want you to examine your heart come on really examine it I want you to know this there's nothing that I could pray over you there's nothing that I could say over you that the Lord has not said over you or says over you today what I'm just asking is that because Jesus already has done everything for you because the gospel teaches us that Christ already did it all Christ laid it out already Christ fulfilled it Christ is doing it Christ has done it Christ will continue to do it it's because of everything that Christ has already done. So, so don't think that this is a message about, oh, everything that you have to do, 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 do. No, I'm telling you that Christ has already done it. But because Christ has already done it, will you humble yourself before the presence of God, before all the doings of Jesus, and say, Lord, you've already done it all for me. So I'm going to do the one thing that matters. I'm going to come before your feet and I'm going to give you everything. Everything of me is yours because of everything that you've already done for me everything goes in my life everything is yours I want my private ministry to win I want my private thoughts and my private words to win I want my private prayer and my private worship and my private giving to begin winning so that in the public all of that has more weight and more glory and more anointing so Lord here I am before your presence it's everything for 2020 it's everything before your presence i give it all to you today as we sing a song and you feel like today man i'm going to make that stand and i'm going to make that decision because of all that he's done for me i'm going to come before his presence and i'm just going to give him everything i'm going to be broken before the presence of god today this is what i'm going to do i'm going to take a step of faith here and i'm going to tell you if you want to come up here and get on your knees come up here and some of us will get around you and just hug you and just come in agreement with you and say, Lord, they're coming up to the altar because they're declaring within that it's everything. They're declaring within that it's everything. So, as we sing, and you need to come up to the front, come up. Get on your knees, fall on your face. If you need to cry, you cry. If you need to yell, you yell. But come before the presence of God and make the decision that today it's everything goes. Come on, everything goes. If that's you, come on.